You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18, I began a series on the armor of God. It began with just talking about truth, and I realized, okay, the Lord wants us to go deeper in this message. If you're a young person, grab your phone, your smart device if you have it, or look on the person next to you. If you don't have a Bible with you, just grab your smart device and type in there, Ephesians, or EPH, chapter 6, colon, verse 10 to 18, it will pop up, okay, in your browser. So go ahead and do that, and follow with me in the reading of the Word. Ephesians chapter 6, reading from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I'm here to announce to you that you are going to have to take a stand against the devil's schemes against you. You notice the word is plural. It's not a scheme that the devil has against you. It is schemes. It will be one upon the other upon the other, and you need the full armor of God. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, It's not against your boss that's giving you a hard time. It's not against your spouse that you're thinking is coming from hell. No, no, no. God bless them to you. (laughs) That's right. These guys are pointing at each other. No, I really believe. No, they're a blessing of the Lord for you, and you need to contend. You've got to contend in prayer. You are thinking to yourself, I'm battling flesh. It's not flesh. The Bible's telling you this. We do not struggle. A struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and it doesn't stop, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, I need you to download the previous podcast because I can't go back and repeat stuff. There's a lot to unpack. Therefore, because you're battling all these principalities and powers, there's different uh, rulers and heads and all the way down, different powers and authorities. He says, therefore, because of that, here's what we need to do. Put on the full, that means all of it, armor of God, so that when, not if, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, because you cannot stand your ground without the armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, (laughs) let me tell you, some days in battles, it is it's just so horrendous. Some, sometimes a battle is easy. You know, you have a word against the enemy, against your again, not a person. You recognize that God puts you in situations for your sake, for your good to strengthen you. Never get angry at the person, okay? It may be a boss at work. You know, they may be keeping you from that promotion or giving you hell, okay? It might be your friend. It might even be a spouse. It might be your children. I don't know. It might be a neighbor, okay? Remember, it's not the person. They are being manipulated by an enemy, and they're giving in completely to it. They're completely sold out. And so they're attacking you because you represent the kingdom. The enemy sees that God is in you. They see the presence of God. They see your spirit man strong and powerful, and the enemy wants to take you down. 
But here, listen to this. The enemy cannot make you do anything that you don't already want to do. So if he can manipulate you with your desires for evil, he'll have you. He'll take you down. So remember, God, uh, the, God allowed this, but the enemy will throw hell at you. And you cannot fight with the weapons of this world. Stand firm, therefore, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. We talked about that. With a breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and, so we often forget about this in the armor of God. This is also an armor, uh, one of the weapons. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Today, I want to focus on the helmet of salvation. Now, I need you to understand the helmet isn't there to make you look good. Some of you have good hat heads. I don't have a good hat head. Believe it or not. I'm that good looking, but no. I try and put on certain hats, and most hats make me look ridiculous. I just look awful with it. So I have certain hats. If it looks good, I buy it. I think I've got like the cap. The cap works for me sometimes, sort of, but I really don't have a hat head. It looks ugly. So if I'm going to put on the helmet, because I ask myself this question, why did the Apostle Paul liken salvation to a helmet? Have you thought about that? Why helmet? He didn't use the word hat. He used the word helmet. Why wasn't it a breastplate of salvation? Why wasn't it a shield of salvation? Why wasn't it a sword of salvation? Have you ever wondered about that? Why did he use these particular words, metaphors, to describe something that we require for warfare? What is the purpose of the helmet? Now, look at, so if we're trying to explain the supernatural, the spiritual through the natural. What is the purpose of helmets? We have bike helmets. We have football helmets. So those that play gridiron like our brother Logan here. We have safety helmets or hard hats, right, for dangerous, dangerous workplaces. The army has helmets for warfare and battle. A helmet covers, it protects the head, it protects the brain, and hopefully absorbs a shock to the brain. I, I recently watched a movie, Concussion, that stars Will Smith. Anyone, is it Will Smith? No, no, it was, yeah, it was, it was Will Smith. Did anyone watch that movie, Concussion? Some of you guys are honest enough. Pastor, I don't watch movies because it's so ungodly. Come on. It's on Netflix, it's free. Watch it. Concussion. <laughs> We're just real in this church, okay? Keep it real. And by the way, please don't be quiet. Make some noise here, okay? Concussion. Uh, Will Smith plays this great character, this great African-American surgeon who basically uh, openly addresses the ongoing effects of head trauma on professional football athletes and begins to show them that because of that trauma they're suffering, it's actually causing ongoing harm after they finish their football career and their lives ended very quickly. And so Paul is saying salvation has to be like a helmet. And as he writes this message to the church, to us today, he's writing the people who are saved. 
So I need you to understand that sometimes the word is addressed to everyone, both the people who know Jesus and have made a commitment to follow him, and then there's words for people who don't know the Lord, and it's an equal invitation for them to follow Jesus. This particular message is actually for the saints. This particular message are for followers of Jesus because the moment you said, I'll follow you, you come under attack. You come under the radar of an enemy because as long as you are unfruitful, as long as you refuse to follow Jesus, I mean completely, you are not a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And I want a church, I want to encourage you, this is the way I want to be. That the moment I wake up, the enemy just says, oh no, it's him again, he's awoken. Here comes, the, here comes the pain. Don't you want to be a pain for the kingdom of darkness? Don't you want to be used by the Lord to make your life count? Some of you think, oh, you know, I just want to cruise. I just want to be in cruise control. You can't. You can't be a follower of Jesus and be in cruise control. You're either advancing the kingdom or you're going backwards. It has to be a decision that you make, and I can't make it for you. The Holy Spirit has to convict you and to awaken your spirit when you realize, I need to do this. Listen to the words in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. The New Living Translation uses these words, put on salvation as your helmet. So I want you to understand that. If it's telling you to put it on, it means that you physically have to do it. But hang on, I thought I was saved, Pastor. I thought that once I said the prayer, you know, you said to bow your heads, close your eyes, and you didn't want to embarrass me, so I stayed in my spot here, and I raised my hand. I said, I see that hand there, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I'm, you know, I'm probably going to say it today. But I, I just need you to understand, salvation is not something that you take lightly. It is a weapon of warfare. And if it's something that you put on, it means you can also take it off. It also means that you have to put it on again. So he's saying every time that you wake up, you've got to put on your helmet of salvation. And why is salvation a helmet? You've been wondering for this. I've been waiting for the moment. Are you ready for it? Salvation is a helmet because it affects how you think. Someone write that down in your notes. Salvation is a helmet because it affects how you think. In other words, as a Christian who is quote-unquote saved. So we've led you up the garden path inadvertently as pastors because we have told you, bow your heads, close your eyes, and if you would like to receive Jesus into your heart, raise your hand, and you thought salvation was a moment. I remember growing up, and they said, if you can't remember the day that you were born again, then you weren't really born again. And I remember, I can't remember, I was four years old. Does that mean that I'm not actually saved? And I remember the times when the Holy Spirit convicted me every year after that, after age of four, reading gospel tracts, saying the prayer literally 100 times a pop to make sure I was saved. Because I just wanted to make sure, I wasn't sure at what particular point was I actually saved. I've said the prayer a thousand times. Was I saved at four? I don't remember the date, so does that mean I'm not saved? Here's what I want to challenge you. I just want to challenge your thinking a little bit more. Perhaps salvation is more than a moment where you close your eyes and you really meant it with all your heart. Maybe that's the beginning of salvation and you are going on a journey because if you have to put on a helmet of salvation, you can have a knowledge of salvation, but you won't do any good unless you think like you're saved. 
Does that make sense? A lot of times I see Christians thinking like unsaved people. And again, I'm not having a go. I'm just preaching the message, just a messenger. And I see a post on Facebook. I know you go through troubles and hardship. But some of them are, are ones that should be kept for your prayer closet. And to be saved and reserved for actual friends. Can I tell you, Facebook friends are not really your friends. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them that. Facebook is not your friend. Turn to the other person and say, your Facebook friends are not with you. <laughs> I've got like, I don't know, six, 1,600 friends. They're not really my friends. So, I, so like, I'm not going to post my deepest, darkest for them to know. But I'll tell them, I'll post something after I've won the battle. Because now it becomes inspirational for them. So here's a thought I want you to understand. It's possible to have an unsaved Christian because they're not putting the helmet of salvation on. They're reacting to the world and trying to use their flesh to fight against flesh. But Paul says, your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities. It's against, against powers and authorities. At the core of most of our problem is a lack of understanding of salvation. This is the thing. We believe... When, so being saved is being born again. And I believe that's part of the aspect of the journey. The day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was saved. True. But we are saved by grace through faith. Paul is saying you have to put on salvation. Not once, but all the time. Salvation is more than a moment. Let me put it this way. Have you ever known someone? who responded to a salvation call, said the prayer, but was not really saved? Don't raise your hands. Do you know someone? They might be sitting next to you like, oh, they need Jesus. <laughs> you know, just give them the eyes right there. Because let me tell you this, okay? Let me, let me go a little bit further. Can I, can I go deeper? You brave. All right. Jesus said, you can tell if someone's repentant if they're saved by their fruit. I'm not going to get you to turn to the person next to you because this is uncomfortable. What's your fruit showing? Where's the fruit in your life? Again, I'm not, there's no condemnation. Lots of love. <laughs> I love you. I love you, the Lord. I made the same mistake. I'll do the same thing. It's okay. The Bible says that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees, correcting them. He said this. So these are religious people. They say they're saved. They say they're living for God. And this is what he said to them. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So it's possible to be high up in the Christian walk and journey, highly respected, and have zero fruit. And no one is going to hold you accountable because they're all in the same boat. But today, the Lord's saying, time to wake up. Salvation is a continual process, and so is the need to put on that helmet. It reminds us daily we are in need of salvation and to protect it at all costs. 
Some of you are riding on the tinkering edge of, the, of your salvation, thinking, I'm going to go right this far. I'm still saved. I can still watch this show. I can still do this thing here. I'm still saved, right? You're going right to the edge. How, much, how many Sundays do we have to go to church and still be saved? Because if I get my minimum in, it's going to be okay. Can I tell you, you're not living like someone who's saved. You're not thinking like someone who's saved. Someone who's saved is repentant. You cannot get into the kingdom unless you repent. Repent means you're changing the way you think. You're saying, the way I was walking has led me to destruction and despair. And I will not be with the Lord when I die. So I've got to change my ways. And I'm going to make a 180 degree turn. And I'm going to follow after God. I am committed to follow Him. So if you're not following Him and doing what He asks you to do, and you are, you are having a one-night stand with God. Are you really saved? Everyone okay? <laughs> they still love me, right? Think like you're saved, not like a sinner. The word salvation, I wanted to dig in there and go a little bit deeper, comes from the Greek root word, which is the word sozo. Some of you guys have been exposed to sozo ministry. Anyone familiar with that term, sozo ministry? Only one nodding his. Okay, good. This is all new for you. That word sozo is that word salvation, and this is what it means. Remember, in the original Greek and Hebrew language, it was more than one word meaning. So even though they gave a word, sozo, instantly the people of that day It was conjuring up all these different views, all these different definitions. They knew the fullness of what it meant. So let me explain it to you. What is salvation? What is sozo? It means to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment. Okay? If you sin, you're going to come under judgment. There's a judgment day that will happen. And either you go to be with Jesus, a lifetime with Him, eternity, not a lifetime, eternity with Him, never dying, or you have an eternity of punishment. I know we don't preach this anymore in churches. The Bible says very clearly there's fire waiting for people who reject Jesus. I'm so sorry. I'm just telling you the news. So salvation is deliverance from that penalty. Can I keep going? Some of you are really somber now. Like, oh, he's gone all serious on us. It's okay. We're friends. We're friends. Okay. Sozo means to protect or to rescue from danger or destruction, to keep safe and sound. That's what sozo means. Salvation also means to heal, to save from suffering of disease, to restore to health. So salvation is not just a salvation of your soul. It's also salvation of your flesh. It's a salvation of your mind. You got mental illness? There's sozo. God wants to save you from that. You got some ailment in your body? Go to whatever it is. There's salvation for that. There's sozo. The word salvation also means to preserve one who is in danger of destruction. God wants to preserve you. That's why you put that helmet on saying, if I take this off for a second, I am liable to be taken down by the enemy. I have to keep this helmet on. Salvation means to do well. Another word for it is to prosper. Can you imagine that? That word salvation means God wants to save you by giving you good health, to save you from eternal damnation and destruction, to to prosper you. Wow, this is amazing. Salvation means to make you whole, to restore you, and to save you from the evils 
that will keep you from receiving messianic salvation. How does that sound? I think the Lord deserves a hand for that one. That is amazing. That is salvation. Some of you guys are not convinced yet. Salvation, in other words, by all that meaning, is not just for the future. Salvation is for the present. It doesn't just save you from hell to come. It is to save you from the hell you may be going through right now. Can I challenge you with this thought? If you're going through hell now, it's because you don't have your helmet on. You can't decide when you want to take it on or take it off when it's convenient or when it's comfortable. You don't get to pick and choose and customize your Christian journey as some are in the habit of doing. I don't like that scripture. I don't believe it's, it's applicable to me. I'm under the new covenant. I'm not under law. Well, actually, you still are. You still are. You're not under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. You're under the New Covenant, which still includes the law. What? I know, but Jesus said it. I'll teach on another day. Don't worry. <laughs> you either have the helmet on or not. When it's hot and sweaty and uncomfortable, when you're in the army, you leave your helmet on, you wear it. When it's feeling heavy and the burden is too hard, this is a metaphor, wear your helmet. When it might mess up your hair and you feel embarrassed, I'm embarrassed about Jesus, wear your helmet. When others are wearing fedoras, snapbacks, baseball caps, keep your helmet on because it could cost you your life. Write this one down. Salvation wasn't made for comfort. It was made for combat. Some of you think to yourself, salvation is just about feeling good. No. It's about fighting to keep where you are right now because the devil wants to take you down. you got to keep this thing on. Put it on physically. That salvation is a process, is something people it escapes people's minds. There's a guy called Engel, and he created what we call the Engel Scale of Salvation. See, a lot of us believe you're either saved or you're not. But if you look at the angle scale, it's like negative 8 down here, down the scale. Negative 7, negative 7, 5, 4, 0, 1, 2, 3. In other words, you don't, you're not necessarily you know, either yes or no, true or false, saved or not saved. There's actually a scale. Some of you have been ministering and talking to your friends and family, and you haven't seen them get saved. You wrote them off, and you said, oh, I guess they're not saved. What you don't understand is on the angle scale, they were negative eight. But after you spoke to them, they're negative seven. And you've been thinking, oh, but they're still negative. No, no, it's okay. They move from negative eight to negative seven. They're on their journey. Don't give up. Keep ministering to them. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep praying for them. Your friend may not have made a decision yet, but they're moving up the scale. Can you give a hand to the Lord for that? Praise the Lord. The helmet of salvation is about the head because the head speaks of government. Let me ask you a question. Are you governed by your head or are you governed by your heart when you're in battle? What I mean is this. When hardship comes upon you and you're struggling and your flesh is screaming out your soul, you know, you are so tired, I'm weary, I'm hurting, my, the pain that I'm feeling, surely this can't be God, surely. And you were, you were responding from the flesh. And we talked about that earlier with Facebook. These are the Christians that are operating from the heart. And I understand we have hearts. Pastor Newton had this really great illustration. I'm just going to grab these chairs for a moment. While we're in Malaysia, I want to share this with you. 
The Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit asunder. In other words, you have a soul and you have a spirit. And you also have flesh. So just like the Lord is a, is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, we're also a trinity. There's Paul the soul, there's Paul the spirit, and there's Paul the flesh. So have a look over here. This is to your right, so we'll make that the favorite one, the favorite seat. Imagine, nah, I'm going to mix it up. Imagine this is my right. Imagine this is your flesh. Okay, this makes up Paul the flesh. This is Paul the soul, and this is Paul the spirit. A lot of the people who are not saved or pre-saved, they operate from the flesh. Oh, you know, I, I couldn't help it. We, we, you know, she came into the room and it just happened. <laughs> it just happened. That's the flesh. I couldn't help myself. That's usually the words they use. The seat over here is that many Christians sit here. Okay? It's, it's the seat of the soul, the heart. You know, someone hurts you and all you want to do is hurt them back because you're hurting and you want to fight them. You want to do these things to them because they hurt me. I have a right to fight back. How dare they do that to me? Can anyone relate to what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Most of us operate from the seat right here. And the enemy tries to attack you in this seat right here, these two seats. He tires you down so that your soul, your heart, your mind, the way you think, the seat of your emotions is so mixed up you can't think straight and he wants you to think. He wants you to operate from this seat, the seat of the soul, or preferably, he wants you to operate from the seat of the spirit. But what we've been called to do, Paul's saying, is to operate from the seat of the Spirit. Because even though you're feeling all these things, and so many Christians, that's the thing. When things get hard, they fold because it's too hard. But God is saying, I want you to be seated in the seat of the Spirit, seated in heavenly places with Him. You have the mind of Christ, not the mind of the world, the mind of Christ. So even though hell is raining down on you, you choose to sit on this seat. It's outside of the realm of the, of the soul and the spirit. And you begin to make instructions that the Holy Spirit gives you, make decisions based on the instruction the Lord tells you. So you begin, those of you that are filled with the spirit, you, know, you begin crying out to the Lord. God, what can I do here? I'm really struggling, Lord. What is your instruction? When you start operating from this seat, all of this other stuff begins to make sense. And peace begins to move all the way down the seats. Can you imagine a church full of people that rather than responding to the flesh, rather than responding to the, the soul, right? I'm going to fight back. I'm going to hurt. We, be begin, we began thinking to ourselves, what if we just began to call out on God? What if we began to intercede and pray for that situation and see what God will do? Let me begin to wrap up this morning. I said earlier, the devil can't make you do anything you don't want to do. He can only tempt you. He can only suggest things to you. He can maybe start to make you feel bad. And it's all up to you whether you want to keep making yourself feel bad. And your mind goes into a spiral. But what you feel and what you know in the spirit can be two diametric, diametrically opposing things. Think about this. Everything about your journey on this planet is about the head games. There's a war going on. It's a war for the mind. 
Do you notice that? Think about this. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent didn't attack Adam and Eve physically. He got in their head. Think about this. On the day of battle, Goliath didn't attack the Israelites physically in battle. He got in their head. He began threatening them. You choose a man, a champion. We, we don't need to lose all these casualties. Pick one person. I'll fight them. And he was such a threat. In the wilderness, on the 40th and last day of his fast, the devil didn't try to attack Jesus physically. He tried to get in his head. So let me begin to put these things together. <laughs> I love what the Lord does. Check out God's curse on the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, verse 15, it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, serpent. He will crush your head. It's a head gay. It's a war. And Jesus is saying, we are going to crush the enemy's head. Not his tail, his head. Because the moment you take the head, listen to this. Goliath, when he fought David, he lost his head over it. Pun intended. You're welcome. <laughs> Goliath didn't die from the slingshot. He died from his own sword because he lost his head. Let me finish off with this one. Jesus was able to fight back the enemy because he realized the war isn't flesh. The war isn't soul. The war is spirit. And he used the word because God's word is spirit and life. And so he began to counteract the devil. Here's the thought. When you don't lose your head in a situation, you become the head. Wow. You're welcome. Why don't we stand to our feet as we give glory to the Lord? Here's the thought I want you to I'm finish with. When you lose your head, I need everyone listening. I want you to get this. When you lose your head, the power shifts. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve lost their head. And they lost authority over the planet, and Jesus had to claim it back. When Goliath got into the heads of the Israelites, they were terrified of him. And the Bible says every man went away to hide the moment Goliath stood out. But listen to this. When David got into Goliath's head, he was promoted from a shepherd boy to a commander of the Lord's army. The Bible tells us when Jesus overcame the devil and he took the head. And the Bible says even though he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he came out by the Spirit and the power of God. It was after he battled and won the headship that Jesus received power. Some of you are living powerless lives as Christians because you're not putting up with a battle. You're not fighting with the tools that God gave you. And you're still trying to fight in the flesh or you're trying to fight with your soul. And the Lord is saying, stop trying to fight with the same warfare uh, weapons that the enemy's using. Begin to use the, the, the armor that God has given you. I remember watching a movie in the past called Highlander. It was a movie about immortals. You could mortally wound them. You could stab them in the heart. You can do all these different things, and they would always recover. But the one thing that they could not recover from is when they lost their heads. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me.
I don't know what battle you're going through right now. It's attacking your heart. It's attacking your emotions and your defenses are wearing down. For some of you, it's your marriage, it's your relationship, and and you, you just can't keep going. You've been trying so hard and you feel you just want to give up. Your mind, for some of you, you may have already moved on. For others, you've been contending for your children, for their salvation, perhaps for your husband, for their salvation, and you haven't seen it come. Others of you here, you're so struggling in your job, it just feels like you're working so hard and, and, and you're getting battle weary. Can't seem to pay your bills, can't seem to get ahead, and you want to do the things that God wants you to do, but you feel that you are tied down. I want to tell you that the Lord is speaking to you today. You're not a captive. You are not a prisoner. I declare by the anointing of the Lord that He sets you free today. The the battle is already won. (laughs) The battle is already won. In your minds, you've been battling in your flesh with your emotions, thinking, I'm just about to give up the battle. I'm losing the battle. No, the battle is won. The battle is the Lord's. When you give it to the Lord, it becomes His war, His battle. And God doesn't lose battles. So, Father, right now, I lift up every son and every daughter in this house, every child of God who is going through battles, who is going through hardship right now, for some ready to give up in the name of Jesus. I speak courage into you once again. Courage strength in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would move powerfully upon your sons and daughters in this house. I pray, Lord God, you would awaken the sleeping giant. I pray, O Lord, that you begin to invite them to private moments with you where they would commune with you, where they would spend time with you. And in that place, Lord, you are so real, so real, that they feel encouraged when they step out of that meeting with you. Father, I pray from this moment now, as your sons and daughters begin to reach out and seek you out, that they will find you. I pray, Father God, you will prepare them for the battle ahead. I pray for those already in battle, that Lord God, you begin to destroy and demoralize the enemy in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.